Welcome to the National 5 RMPS podcast here at Stuart's Melville College with me, Mrs Crichton. And me, Mr Chalmers. In our last episode on the topic of free will, we discussed how humans have been gifted with the ability to choose. But with that choice means the existence of good and bad. And how without that duality, free will wouldn't actually be possible. The wrong choice needs to exist in order for me to choose the right one. In Judaism, Wrong choices are generally referred to as sin, which literally means an act of wrongdoing. But in a way, this is too simplistic an understanding. One of the Hebrew words for sin is chet, which in Hebrew simply means to go astray. So astray means going away from the correct path or direction. It implies that there is a way back. Yes. In Judaism, we call this process teshuva, which is Hebrew for returning. It's best understood as repentance, saying sorry and making amends for the things you've done wrong. But teshuva can be done at any time. The high holiday season and Yom Kippur is especially considered a good time for it. Before we go too far into that, can we first explore what sin really entails? So, as far as I can recall from our previous discussion, we talked about God giving the 613 commandments, or mitzvot, for the Jewish people to follow. So, not following these would entail sin. And sin occurs when someone's yetzer hara, their natural inclinations, is not balanced by their yetzer tov, their moral conscience. So, we don't get a yetzer tov until our bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs. Children below the age of 12 or 13 can't sin. Correct. For something to be a sin, you have to understand that it's wrong when you did it, and it had to be a free choice. We could go back to the crazed gunman and bacon sandwich analogy from the last episode. Please don't. I'm hungry already. Okay, well, if I was forced to do something bad at gunpoint, the only one who can be really considered sinful, according to Judaism that is, is the person wielding the gun about the place. But... All sin is considered equal. Well, no, because in Judaism there's three different types of sin. Against God, against yourself and against other humans. Sin doesn't hurt God in any ways. Um, He's almighty. So sin against yourself or humanity is considered much worse. Some examples could be a sin against God might be breaking Shabbat, the Sabbath, or eating tefra on kosher food. And a sin against yourself could be something like failing to seek help for an addiction or other health problems. And a sin against a fellow human could be something like stealing or lashon hurrah. Which is Hebrew for tongue of evil. Or in other words, gossip. So you could avoid sin by... Making sure your yetzer tov is balanced out by your yetzer hurrah, or you can ensure it's strong by studying the Torah, ascending synagogue, or reciting the Shema, or even praying in a minyan. Studying the Torah would also ensure that they're aware of the 613 mitzvot and be guided how to live a good life by God. Okay, but inevitably, sometimes things do go wrong, but we then have that process of teshuva to bring us back. And I talked a little bit before about that high holiday and Yom Kippur. So, high holidays really start with the festival of Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, this was mentioned before, but it's the Jewish New Year, which commemorates the creation of the world. But it's also a judgment day, when Jews believe that God balances a person's good deeds over the last year against their bad deeds, and decides what the next year was going to be like for that person. 
Yeah, it's believed that God records that judgment in the book of life where he sets out who's going to live, who's going to die, and he will have a good time and he will have a bad time during the next year ahead. The book of judgment is finally slammed shut on Yom Kippur. That's 10 days later. Yeah, so a lot of time is spent in the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah where there's special services that emphasise God's kingship. And one of the synagogue rituals for Rosh Hashanah is the blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn trumpet. This is meant to tell people to wake up, particularly to the consequences of their sin. So the Book of Life isn't sealed until Yom Kippur. You've got 10 days to sort things out. Yeah, and there is actually um, a time to focus on things for the entire month before Rosh Hashanah, Ilul, in the Hebrew calendar. But you know how people love to procrastinate before a deadline. What sort of things can people do in that time to ensure that they are in the Book of Life? Well, um, it's interesting that according to Jewish tradition, only sins against God can be atoned for through confession, regret, and then promising not to repeat that action. Sins against other people can be atoned for only once the wrong has been made right. Restitution has to be paid. So, for example, a financial crime, you might have to return the money. or um, And forgiveness needs to be um, gained from the victim. So people have woken up to their sin by observing the rituals of Rosh Hashanah. They connect to God through prayer, which is Hebrew, known as tefillah. And they also have this great ritual where they cast breadcrumbs into a body of moving water to ritualistically cast away their sin. The Hebrew for that is tashlik. But they can't make up for sin against other people. No, there must be some restitution for that. And that could be as simple as picking up the phone and apologising to people that you have wronged, or making a new resolution to do things differently in the year ahead. And remember that God is able to know your true intentions, so these can't be fake. So there's also the process of tzedakah, giving money to charity or helping others in your community. So even if there's not a specific individual who's been hurt, you can still make amends for not having helped others enough. So much is left to do once Yom Kippur actually arrives. Because Yom Kippur is known as the Day of Atonement. It's the final day to ask forgiveness for promises broken to God. But really, Yom Kippur is a day of not doing. There's no blowing of the shofar, and Jews may not eat or drink as fasting is the rule. That's right. It's believed that to fast on Yom Kippur is to emulate the angels in heaven who do not eat, drink or wash. But there's actually five prohibitions. There's no eating or drinking. There's no anointing your body with perfumes or lotions. There's no marital relations. There's no washing. And there's even no wearing of leather shoes. So the eve of Yom Kippur, the community joins at the synagogue. Yep, and then men put on their prayer shawls as the night falls and the cantor begins to sing the Kol Nidri, which is repeated three times, each time in a louder voice. The Kol Nidri emphasises the importance of keeping vows, as violating an oath is one of the worst sins. And one of the most important parts of the Yom Kippur service is the vidu, or confession. The confession serves to help reflect on one's misdeeds and to confess them verbally is part of the formal repentance in asking God's forgiveness. But equally, it's not about individual being guilty or pointing a finger at someone because community and unity are important in Jewish life. Confessions are said in the plural, we are guilty. And as Yom Kippur ends, the last hour of the service is called the Nila, 
which offers a final opportunity for repentance. It is the only service of the year during which the doors of the Ark, where the Torah scrolls are stored, remain open from the beginning to the end of the service, signifying that the gates of heaven are open at this time. That sounds pretty full on. It does, but the fact that these are the high holidays, the starting point to the year, shows how important it is that we discard sin from our lives and move on. Continuing bad habits, including carrying guilt, certainly is not healthy. And agreed, that could be a good message for our Nat 5 listeners as well. And on that note, we will bid you... Shalom. Shalom.